We're Ace Comicals, my name's Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's get started. Hi guys, it's episode number 18, Strange Happenings and Alternate Dimensions Abound. We have some comics that lie in the space between light and shadow, science and superstition, the realm of things and ideas, cartoon and reality. Welcome to a dimension that is not only of sight and sound, but also mind. Mainly sound and mind, because this is a podcast. Welcome to Ace Comicals! (laughs) That was a great intro. (laughs) Well, it is deserved, I think, this time, because uh, we've got some some books that, that kind of have that kind of Twilight zone feel about them a little, I guess, Twilight Zone slash wacky comedic X-Files episode. So, mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we need to signpost this, this sci-fi stuff that we're getting into today. <laughs> so, I guess without further ado, we should just jump straight into what we've been reading. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Straight in. So, yeah, so... Um, we will start with DC's Dastardly and Muttley, which, as a kid, I used to watch. People knew it as Catch the Pigeon because of the theme tune, but Dastardly and Muttley's Flying Machines, or Dastardly and Muttley and their Flying Machines, I can't remember what the actual proper title is, it's one of those two, and Wacky Races, which also feel Dick Dastardly and his dog sidekick Muttley. Now, these guys were like the villains, the bad guys. It's uh, the the old Hanna Barbera cartoons. I'm sure you've watched Wacky Races, Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Wacky Races. Yeah. I didn't realize that Catch the Pigeon and Wacky Races. And what was the the third one you said? No, Dastardly and Muttley's Flying Machine is Catch the Pigeon. It's just we all knew right, it as Catch right. the Pigeon, but it's it's still Dick Dastardly and Muttley. Yeah, I just didn't realize they were different things. I always thought they were the same cartoon. I never <laughs> never went back and watched it. No, yes, they're all different. Um, and um, my favourite was the, um, the the flying machines one because they basically it, it's like a team of aviators, kind of World War One esque, coming up with increasingly convoluted flying machines, trying to catch this messenger pigeon that has an important message, and they need to stop him. And you end up rooting for the pigeon, I guess. Of course, you end up rooting for the pigeon. That poor pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's twenty people chasing after it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Dastardly and Mutley were like a big feature of that. They were great. Mm. So this book is a weird and wacky spin on an otherwise grounded in reality war story, I guess. You've got this nation called Unlikely Stan that <laughs> is firing up a... It's like a kind of Middle Eastern-esque type place. And they're firing up this uh, th- their first kind of reactor powered by this... Um, is it Unstabilium? Yeah, some... <laughs> like the entire introduction is all just nonsense... <laughs> Uh, like nonsense sci-fi terms like unlikely stan and was it yeah what did you say it was um uh unstabilium unstabilium yeah yeah unstabilium 239 which is supposed (laughs) to be well rather unstable and uh this uh this this reactor this uh power plant was uh created by somebody called professor dubious so (laughs) (laughs) in in the kind of um tradition of these sort of cartoons it doesn't pull any punches and it's not subtle because when were these cartoons ever subtle i mean you yeah ever, i don't yeah. think we're supposed to take it too seriously exactly yeah which is the, <laughs> the first great thing about it so obviously when they fire up the reaction reactor it all goes wrong and you end up with this nuclear explosion and i love this double page spread <laughs> 
it's great. It's like page two and three when you open the book, and it's just when it's like the title title page. It's like uh, chapter one, and I guess that's why they call it the blues. And you can actually imagine that playing while this explosion's going off, and this like there's like a, a vulture, vulture getting fried it. with its eyeballs hanging out of his head. It's great. It's a lot not Bibles in this comic. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's grotesque at all. I'd say it's com- it's it's cartoon, it's comedic. But imagine artwork that is, um, it's it's got a real, it's got a realistic flair about it. But uh, it, it's it's like cartoon surrealism when it needs to be. Mm. So and it's definitely not. I don't think it's child friendly, cartoony because like it's not no, it's not grotesque, no. like it's not that gory. Yeah, but it's still kind of nightmarish. Yeah, it, it's 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 nightmarish, but it's night nightmarish in a cartoony way, and it's nightmare. It's it's strange. I guess it and is the embodiment of the word strange. Yeah, and it straddles that line between adult and childish really well. Yeah, I think. yeah, and it, it's um the art it, the art helps set up the tone because it has this cartoon edge. And it's these weird happenings in an otherwise pretty stable, grounded, you know, military story that we're given here of um, two pilots that have been tasked with finding out what's going on over Unlikely Stand, basically. Yeah, uh, like a week after the explosion yeah. has happened and they assume that the, the land has been irradiated with, you know, nuclear waste or yeah or whatever, nuclear fallout. So that they're doing a little bit of recon and... Basically, Dick Dastardly, or as he's known here at the beginning, is uh, Richard Actually, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's uh, he's brought his um, his co-pilot along with him. Uh, what, what's the co-pilot's full name? Captain D. Muller. That's it, Captain D. Muller, or Mutt. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mutt has brought his dog along, so you can see where this is going already it's <laughs> what? ridiculous yeah. these two like yeah. fighter jet pilots with a dog in the back oh my god yeah and and um obviously they, they fly over unlikely stand they fly over the uh <laughs> what's supposedly the the um where the explosion took place and uh a drone goes over the top of them and this drone has got like this weird gas coming out of it it's called war pig one and well i'll just leave it there i won't <laughs> i won't say anymore because that's when it gets weird but it, that's when it gets like you know this kind of like um, off kilter sort of Twilight Zone kind of direction about it, and I, I like it. You know, like where where it's reality, but it's also sort of like slight things are happening that are slightly left of reality. Mm. You know, like slightly liberal with the laws of physics and whatnot, and it's just great. I love it. Slightly, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got like because it's got the the whole kind of. Um, the way the way the military stuff's done because obviously it's Garth Ennis and Garth Ennis is good at that. So the way like the military humor's done and everything else, and the way that the military personnel interact and things like that throughout the story is done really well, and it is quite nice. And it gives me this kind of like um, you know uh, I, I keep comparing things to X Files, especially sci-fi stuff. But you know if you've ever watched the comedic episodes of X Files. Mm where things are a bit a bit you know a bit weird but it they they're not um not as serious because you've got the serious x-files episodes where things are supposed to be scary or supposed to be but then you've got the ones where it's just supposed to be plain weird and yeah because the line between horror and comedy is quite quite, you know, thin. quite close together <laughs> some some say there isn't one but yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think i see what you're getting at where 
It's just got that weird edge to it. Yeah. Where you're not quite sure if you're supposed to be like freaked out or giggling at it. And that's that's what I like because it's, some people will probably be freaked out by it, but some people will giggle at it. And I, I really like that. I like I like that it's something you can take one of two ways, but obviously framed the way it is, based on a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, you're supposed to giggle at it. Mm. Um, and it has, you know, it has it has that great kind of edge about it, which which I really do like. Mm. So yeah, I think the only thing that I'm not so like I, I really enjoyed this. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I think I wish it had dived a bit more into that weirdness because as it stands right now, it is quite. Or it presents itself as really grounded and serious because it does yeah. have like this military yeah. look to it, and I kind of want more. And I think that's what they'll give us from issue two well, onwards. But it's that it's that constant thing of picking up a new like issue one, and it having to like build up everything in just twenty to thirty pages. I know, but you're you're just like I want the trade, I want the trade, I want the trade. But <laughs> the thing is, it's... it kind of. I think it does really well of like just bringing in a little bit of what it's yeah, actually getting at. That's what it's meant to do. It's like one chapter. It's supposed to hook you in. You don't want the whole reveal of everything in the first episode of something, do you? When you, I want, I want the whole reveal. Just give it, give it to me right now. That's, <laughs> give me all the weirdness. That's what I want. So you'd rather have a movie than a TV show. Always, yeah. Okay. Always, I, mean, I think we might have discussed this in our private lives, but yeah, yeah. always movies over TV shows. Yeah, I don't yeah. have the time for that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got the time for that. But yeah, um, it's uh, it's great, and it, it hooks you in, and and it eases you into the weirdness. And obviously, it's going to get wackier and wackier as it goes along. I think. I think that's the point. Um. So, yeah, Dastardly and Mutley. I th- I thought that one was fantastic. And yeah, I'd recommend it. Change of pace now. Um, because the second book that I wanted to mention was Scales and Scoundrels, which is um, it's 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 a fantasy adventure. It's it's all ages fantasy adventure, I guess. Um, it, it's aimed at you know anyone could pick this up and read it. It's, it's aimed at children. It's aimed at adults. There's stuff in there for everyone. Um, it is a really relaxing book to read, actually. Um, the art's beautiful and vibrant, and it is perfect for the fantasy setting. It's uh, it's got this kind of dreamlike quality to it with the way the colours are used. Um, I, I really like like the way that Galad has done that. With that, I like I love the artwork in this book. Um, it's uh, it's it's very loose with with the with the lines. The designs is very they're very loose, and I like how it flows and how loose it is. It's like the right amount of detail for this kind of story because you don't want it's a fantasy setting. You, you don't want to be told exactly what it looks like all the time i guess you like some of it to be left to your imagination and you like things to be to be um you like things to be vibrant and to be how what's the word for it because i don't i don't want to use the word ethereal because it's not that it's um it's kind of hyper real yeah i've not read this myself but i'm flicking through because i yeah I, i i picked it up um, yeah, it's got like a vibrant, cartoony, hyper-real thing. That's it, on. yeah. And, and the, the cartoonish character designs work perfectly for the setting and for the story. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's it's like, it's great because it's Dungeons and Dragons without the constant stopping for rules debates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, that, that was my... Because obviously, I mean, I play Dungeons and Dragons in my spare time. Um, with a, We have a really good group, actually. They're a really great bunch of guys. They um, They don't... We don't have much, many, you know, table arguments about rules and things like that because it's all kind of set in stone. The DM we've got at the moment really knows that knows what he's doing and knows the rules. So 
you could you you can contest something you run it by him and he's like nope this is the book this is this and it's fine you know no one no one argues or questions much too much it's it's quite good like that we do get into some debates about strategy when we're given a scenario and how to tackle it because different characters obviously want to go do different things and you pull in different directions but this this book is is basically all the fun of dungeons and dragons without the things that people associate with dungeons and dragons that probably aren't so fun like the table arguments and such forth so it's great for that. It's got, it's got that real um, bouncy sort of feel about it with with the way that the the story is written, and it's it's uh, it's not it doesn't take itself too seriously either, which I like. And I think I think that's down to the fact that we've got um, Sebastian Gurner on it as a writer, who is your man from uh, Shirtless Bear Fighter. Ah, I knew I recognised the name. Yeah. Right. So it's the the story is excellent, and it's it's like. Um, it moves it moves along at a really decent pace as well, I find, and it, it that it's fun from start to finish. And the, the characters introduced are excellent in the way they're set up, and some of them and inspired as well. Actually, some of the character designs, I love it. So we've got this um, got this young girl who it starts off, and she's playing cards in a tavern, and she gets caught cheating. She's won a lot of money, a lot of money, and she gets caught cheating, uh, and obviously a brawl breaks out. Um, she takes a couple of hits and then all of a sudden you learn that there's something a little bit special about her because there's fire and it seemingly comes from nowhere or her Um, and she's on the run from the town guard because she basically burnt this tavern down obviously like no nobody gets hurt or anything because it's you know nobody gets too hurt anyway it's good it's that kind of like um mild peril type thing you know Mm. um and and she manages to sort of make her escape and she bumps into another group of adventurers and i I don't want to give too much away about what's going on here but uh it it's it's that kind she she's she's special and she's special in a really cool way which is revealed halfway through this book so i can't say it uh and it's um yeah, no, I really like it, and it's a really nice play on the way that dragons work. I like it. I think it's really cool. And if you're into fantasy settings and Dungeons and Dragons, I think it's a, I think it's a good one for for you to pick up. It's a nice, relaxing book to read. Like I said before, it's not. Um, sometimes you get, you know, like um, if you're reading a book that's it's the high stakes stuff and a lot of drama, you kind of get a little mm. bit, you get that kind of stressed out reading it. But this is something you can just sort of read and sort of smile all the way through it. It's very relaxing. Yeah, I'm getting the bouncy vibe from it, like yeah. I said earlier. Because I, I picked this up, I just haven't had a chance to read it. No, no, you'll... you'll I, but I was yeah. caught, I was uh, grabbed by it because of the cover. Like you said, yeah. it's got this really, like... I don't want to use the word shiny, because it's not. It's like kind of flat. I don't know, flat but vibrant at the same time. Like it's got a kind of cool... I don't know, almost yeah, see, this Ghibli-esque. This is what, this is what I love about it. These these kind of dream worldy colours. Mm. You know, you know, it's, it's vibrant and it's yeah. it's smoky and it's like... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> it almost feels like it's like I. I kind of know how you feel about not wanting to use the word ethereal because it seems too easy. It's not ethereal it though because it's wispy... got it, it. For me, it was wouldn't sit. It wouldn't be ethereal because it's got hard lines. Mm. But those hard lines are very loose, so they're not. It's not like a solid outline on anything, you know. Mm. But there are there are solid lines there, so that's that's what I think is is the way i would i I, it's somewhere between it's it's cartoon it's not too abstract 
but it's just abstract enough to sort of get it into that kind of dreamlike state if you understand what i'm trying to get at <laughs> yeah yeah but like as with anything describing art over voice is difficult so, exactly yeah uh, yeah yeah i i'm sold on this already i'm i'm loving the look of it so i'll i think i'll give this a read tonight indeed yes yeah so that's sebastian Gurner, and we've got an artist called galard i think um i think it's a french name but yeah it's uh it is it is a fantastic little book and if you like your dungeons and dragons that's one for you to pick up so ray Let's dive into something on your list because you've written something a little bit fantasy esque, which I'm intrigued. Well, I'm intrigued by the premise of this one after you were talking about this before. So, <laughs> yeah. So coming off of Dungeons and Dragons fantasy and mild peril, um, so I've been reading something called Delicious in Dungeon, or it's actually it's a Japanese manga um, originally called I think it's Dungeon Meshi, which means dungeon food, literally. Um, so it basically follows a band of adventurers who we see. From the start, failing a mission to slay a red dragon. Um, so one of the main characters gets eaten while they're failing this mission, and the rest of them flee while you know while the dragon's doing that. Um, <laughs> they determine that they basically have a month before the dragon's digestion makes resurrection of this character impossible, because you can't resurrect someone from poop, obviously. <laughs> and so they set to work tooling up and rescuing her before it's too late. Couldn't they, just have, like, couldn't they just have like a kind of shambling poopy clay face? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, in typical like anime style, it does have those flashes of you know fantasy, and it's it's basically this this guy and it's his sister that's been eaten, so he has obviously yeah, has yeah. like higher stakes in getting her back, but it's all kind of cartoony and mangary. So in in this manga style, it it basically it's picking a really specific concept from this fantasy setting. So in this case, cooking in a fantasy setting, and then extrapolates it as far as it can go. So in this instance. So food is a, necess- um, a necessary commodity when adventuring, um, but it costs money and it takes energy to stock up on and carry through the dungeon with you and all that kind of stuff. And they've just been defeated and they can't afford food if they want to also have sufficiently powerful weapons to take on the red dragon. So what they do is they overcome this by facing the stigma of actually eating the monsters that they fight in the dungeons. So there's stuff like walking mushrooms or chicken slash snake chimeras or haunted armor and that kind of stuff. So what happens is it turns out the main character, Laios, I think Laios, I think it's Ryosu in Japanese. Um, anyway, it turns out he's always secretly wanted to study and eat monsters, but he doesn't really have the experience to do so. Like He's just had this fantasy of doing it as an adventure all these years. So his team join up with a dwarf that they you know encounter in the dungeon who has the necessary skill set to hunt and cook these monsters and coincidentally has always had the dream of cooking the red dragon that they need to go and defeat. So <laughs> there's this like this ongoing theme of like trusting your earned and practical skills over book learning because you know they um they go around killing all these monsters and then trying to figure out how to cook them and turn them into a nutritious meal. Um, and there's also a theme of like questioning what's normal in the realm of cooking. So you know how <laughs> somebody—it's—it's it's true because like yeah, if you're not that worldly wise, you might turn your nose up at certain other cultures' foods. And I think it's kind of riffing on that. So the same kind of real food that exists in our world, um, they've got over there. So like roast chicken and all the usual fantasy setting type foods you would expect. Um, the only real difference between the dungeon food and, and like our quote unquote real food is the perception you have of eating these, you know, unusual mythical creatures which are hidden in the dungeons. And I kind of, it's kind of cool because I felt this way about Japanese food when I first 
came across Japanese food, you know, everything's, a re- you know, there's a lot of fish and there's a lot of, you know, raw food and that kind of stuff, which took some getting used to, but it's all about your perception of the things that you're eating. So, like, the bulk of each issue is basically encountering a new scenario and within it encountering a new monster and then determining how to kill it and then how to prepare it into a nutritious, tasty dish using unconventional anime methods. Um, and it's it's stupidly manga-ish in that sense where, you know, they come up with really convoluted or interesting ways of tackling this one problem. Um, and it always ends up in essentially a splash page of the final product, uh, complete in, in a very Japanese way, I find, complete with a, a, st- a statistical breakdown of its nutritious qualities. So it's, you know, it's calories, it's carbs, it's proteins and etc. on like a stat wheel. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I mean, the only the only real issue I have with the comic is that there's only one female character aside from the one who gets eaten in the first like five pages. And she's a stereotypically whiny naysayer, like always complaining about the gross foods that she has to eat and generally being kind of useless, which they kind of address because she's a magic user and her skill set hasn't been necessary up until this point in the story. But she kind of, because she's a magic user, she represents this, the book learning side as opposed to the practical, pragmatic side. And I guess that's going to be her character arc at some point, but so far that's a little bit frustrating. That's the only downside I have to this. But other than that, it's kind of a cool, I don't know, cool fantasy setting, but taken from this really specific position of what would you do if you needed to survive on the weird foods that you, you know, you have in an underground dungeon. I mean, this is kind of, yeah. It, mm. for oh, me, sorry, go ahead. sorry, I was going to say it sounds to me like a riff on the RPG command, uh, mechanic, commandic, com- mechanic that you get in some games where you have to craft things from monster parts. Yeah, it basically is, and it kind of it doesn't it doesn't give too much away at the start, but obviously there's hints to you being able to resurrect. Like you know, death isn't final in this story, um, and they talk about things in very RPG stat ways, but it's. I don't think it's a game. I don't think it's a simulation. Like, yeah, you know how you have these other like Sword Art Online where you don't realize yeah. that it's uh, a simulation until a certain point into the story. I don't think it's doing that. I think it is what it is. Yeah, it just happened that the world happens to have these, mm. you know, RPG like fantasy elements to it. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. I th- yeah, I think you'd really like it. And like the artwork is actually kind of Western in a lot of ways. It doesn't look like your typical shonen manga i don't think yeah. it's shonen anyway i think it's like sane enough i forgot what the different genres are um but yeah the like yeah. the main character looks like a western type knight and mm. it has the western type dwarves and you know with the big beards and everything but yeah. it still has its japanese manga slightly cutesy look to it and all the all the monsters skirt the line between being kind of cute from certain points of view but then when you know brought in close they have lots of detail and they're quite scary and everything is yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Sounds sounds pretty cool. Sounds like something I ought to pick up and take a look at, which I probably will. I think it's definitely the kind of thing yeah. you would like. It's <laughs> got the whole, you know, Dungeons and Dragons vibe to it. Yeah. And food, because I know you love your food. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they make these really gross, I quote unquote gross. I think the thing you're supposed to learn from it is that food is food and not everything, you know, give it a chance. It's not always gross. But these kind of gross animals that they turn into really delicious looking meals. It's uh, It's weird. Well, yeah, <laughs> gross dungeon animals, just like slicing up a, a chimera or something. Well, there's bits like they slice up a jelly and then dry it and turn it into noodles. 
Like it's it's just odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, I think you have to check it out. I don't want to give too much away because half the fun of these kind of this kind of manga is the creative things they do with the weirdness of the story. So I don't want to then, then you spoil get any of that. Monsters like a Lamia that's like half snake, half woman. So when does it stop being eating a snake and cannibalism become cannibalism? You know, it's like <laughs> it does kind of get into those points a bit later on. Yeah, so, yeah, it does tackle that kind of thing. Okay, so I guess the next one is one that we've both kind of read. Oh, right, so Captain Phasma. Yes, that one. Or, as its its full title, Journey to Star Wars, colon, The Last Jedi, Star Wars, Captain Phasma, Book 1, Part 1, Captain Phasma. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. Let's just, let's just call it Phasma, yeah? Yeah, it's Captain uh, Phasma. It's brilliant. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a really cool book. Yeah, um, so, um, yeah, let me, let me dive into this. So yeah. it takes place during Episode 7 of The Force Awakens. Yes. So, spoilers for The Force Awakens. If you haven't seen Episode 7, turn this off or skip, you know, skip 10 minutes or, or so. Or just, just question where you are or where you've been for the past. <laughs> yeah, which which specific rock have you been hiding under that you don't know what happens in The Force Awakens? <laughs> um, so, basically, this takes place in the period when Han, Chewie, and Finn are infiltrating Starkiller Base towards the end of Episode 7. Uh, it starts at the moment when they they corner Captain Phasma make her lower the base's defensive shields and then force her into a garbage chute. And then the comic uh, follows the immediate aftermath. So, right, I I thought the artwork was stunning in this. Like, it's got a really wistful 70s vibe in that, you know, if you ever read the the Star Wars Extended Universe novels? Yeah. The way that those the covers of those novels looked, like everything was... It just had this, like... I don't know how to describe it. It's the way they draw her chrome suit. Well, it's this, there's this softness and this, like, very 70s, like, almost dulled thing to it. Um, but it basically, yeah. this, this, the comic has every other panel with Phasma looking completely badass while destruction on the Starkiller base is happening all around her, and then explosions reflecting off her shiny chrome badass armor. Like, did I, did I mention that she's badass? Like, she's totally badass. <laughs> <laughs> so we get these, like really densely filled motion frames she's like the terminator the... she's like she's yeah proper like the terminator like we get these 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 motion shots of all the chaos happening all over the base while phasma is narrating the action and it's kind of framed as her providing the debriefing notes um of what happened during the attack and how she attempts to apprehend the culprits responsible it's so cold so yeah and like my favorite bit is um she's kind of she's escaping on a zip line from all these explosions happening behind her and the narration that, she, you know, the debriefing that she's giving says, when explosions had sufficiently sub- subside, I continued pursuit. Badass. <laughs> it's so badass. <laughs> and there's like some of these, there's some really amazing scenes which kind of coincide with the events that we see during the climax of The Force Awakens. I don't want to give anything away, but yeah. like just the, the lighting and the coloring and I don't know, the the the... It's, it's got a very filmic vibe to it. It where does. You can it see does. The, the lights um, diffused by all the smoke and chaos going on around it. It's a, a and movie poster vibe. Every single panel is a movie poster in yeah. that very seventies movie poster way. I mean, well, obviously, it's it's got the um, the newness about it of of art that has been digitally produced. Because I think I think this has been. I think this is digital. Looking at it. I think um, so, yeah. And but it's also it's got that that kind of the warmth of these these like seventies uh, um movie like uh, sci fi movie posters. You know where they they seem to be able to get 
because because obviously like you know these like old sort of like um chromey which is what what phasma wears she wears chrome which is kind of and you've got these old um you don't they don't really do it anymore but really shiny chrome mechanoids and things like that in old sci-fi movies and when they used to paint them on posters they used to really lean into that shine mm. and that is what comes across here with the way that phasma is painted it just her whole her whole character design I mean, obviously it's Star Wars, so it's set in that universe, so it's going to look that way. But mm. her whole character design screams that kind of 70s pulpy sci-fi. Yeah, like unnaturally shiny. Yeah. Like unrealistically yeah. larger than life shiny. Where are the scratches? I mean, come on, <laughs> she's walking through debris, flipping explosions <laughs> left, right and centre, phaser fire bouncing off. Where are the scratches and the scuffs and the burns, man? No, it's like when you get a new mobile phone and you peel off that little layer. Yeah. She just has loads of those, and just every time the, 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 like the camera isn't looking at her, yeah. she peels off another layer because you know, you know she can't stand to have those smudges. You know, because she's basically a mirror. <laughs> you know when you yeah. fire a laser at her? Does it bounce off or does it damage the mirror? I'm not a physics person, so I don't know too much how this would work. <laughs> there is There is a point where she deflects some laser fire. But she does have to put her hand up to defend herself from it. So I guess maybe there's specific parts or... I, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It's Star Wars. It's not exactly hard sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great nonetheless. The, the, the one thing that disappointed me about this book, I thought... I don't know where I got the idea for this of this from, but I, I, I wanted some origin story in there. I was like, oh, we're, we're going to finally find out who Phasma is about the, the you know... This, this badass woman underneath the mask here. We're going to find this out. This is what I wanted. This is what I've been... Since she was introduced, I think me and probably a lot of other people have wanted to know what makes Phasma tick, right? And yeah, what why, she, why she is how she is. Yeah, what is Phasma's deal? Because we learn, we learn nothing about her in episode 7 besides exactly. the fact that she's, like, cold and cool. So I, I thought this was going to be, a you know, give us a little bit of exposition, a bit of background for Phasma, this book, but it doesn't. <laughs> and when I opened it, I was reading it. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. This is great. I-, I love the fact that it bridges the two films. And obviously, it's building hype for something I'm going to go and see and be very excited about when it does drop. But, like, I wanted an origin story, you know? So it's like it's like going out to buy ice cream and having a specific flavour in your mind and already being able to taste it in your mouth and then getting there and they haven't got that flavour. But then you settle for something else, which is nice, but it's not what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's replacing it with a crap flavour. It's not like you, you wanted... Yeah. Um, chocolate chip and then you end up with lemon sorbet or something like no it's still it's an equivalent thing like it's yeah. still pretty good yeah you end up with i don't know cookie dough instead yeah but but <laughs> really you wanted rum and raisin because you've been hankering for rum and raisin all day you know <laughs> so who i don't know I, I i was quite satisfied yeah. with this because i didn't have an expectation of yeah. being um being an origin story but i can't yeah i like what it's doing and i guess it is a bit of a cop-out in that yeah. it's just bridging between the two films but yeah. i mean to be honest it kind of it sprints through the story without really explaining or i don't know demonstrating who she is yeah in much of a way like she, it doesn't really show her the resourcefulness she clearly must have to escape these circumstances but the flow of the action is so relentless you kind of don't care yeah and i think that's that's very star wars in its own way like I think... it doesn't yeah. It doesn't go too far to explaining things. It just mm. it's enjoyable it action. Just, yeah, it does things and presents those things to you, and you take those things in through your eye sockets, and it's great. <laughs> but like I, I mean, I think the the resourcefulness will come out in subsequent chapters because I think mm. I think there's going to be some sort of odyssey 
I think there's an odyssey being set up here, a, a journey. Right. Um, and I think she's going to be bouncing around the galaxy a little bit. But I mean, like the the, the real kick for me, the real the real kick in the teeth was when I opened this book wanting an origin story. Didn't get an origin story, which is fine because you know I made my peace with that. I was eating cookie dough when I wanted rum and raisin. I was like, okay, I can sell for cookie dough. I, I get sort of like part way through the book and there's an advert for a novel which is Phasma's origin story. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah (laughs) so i'm flicking through it and i see this advert for this like prose version of phasma's origin story and that was that was the real lemon in the eye that was (laughs) i don't suppose you remember what the title of that book was um i've not got the the comic in front of me at the moment so i can't see the advert but um it's oh I mean, just the fact that there even is one, I didn't realise yeah. that was a thing, because I bought it, this digitally, so I didn't have the It's adverts, the fact so. that I was, you know, all hankering for an origin comic, and I've been told, you can have it, but it's in prose. <laughs> you can have it, but you're going to have to read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad. I do read books. If it doesn't have pictures. <laughs> not to disparage the medium that we spend, you know, an hour of our week talking about. <laughs> hey, it's a viable medium. We all know this. <laughs> I'd be curious to uh, to check it out, especially if it does. No, yeah. If it does give more of her character details, yeah. and then I can do a TLDR for you if you like. So <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try yeah. and find that. But it was, but I mean, I I would be tempted. I would read it myself, but it's mm. just like because I I obviously I I do this podcast because I love this medium and I think it's a great storytelling medium. And this is this is where I get the majority of my entertainment and stories. I mean, I do read books as well. I do watch TV as well. But this is my thing. So mm. if it comes, it's coming out as a book, it, it, obviously I'm, I'm not going to enjoy it as much as I would enjoy a comic. That's just <laughs> me, you know? But yeah, that, that was the lemon in the eye opening and seeing that advert. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, other than that, it, it's fantastic. And yeah, it really does. I mean, obviously the only reasons I don't enjoy it are personal to me. It's, it, I've done this to myself, you know? It's not, it's not because it's a bad comic by any means. It's really good. It's just, yeah, it's it just, just wasn't what you were set yeah, up to just expect. wasn't what I was yeah. setting myself up for. But I'm going to continue to read it because I really, I really did like it and I like what it's doing and it is building hype for the next movie, which, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready to get excited about that now. So, yeah, <laughs> let's go. So that was writer Kelly Thompson, artist Marco Cecchetto. Cecchetto? Ch- I think Cecchetto. Cecchetto, uh, yeah, Cecchetto. <laughs> I'm not sure. So I guess the final book on the list today is... A book called Elsewhere, which we are now two issues in. This story is the story of Amelia Earhart, the first female aviator to fly solo over the Atlantic. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I um, can see why you would. I remember you telling me that I would like this, but you didn't want to reveal why. Yeah. And yeah. Now I, yeah. I didn't know it was about Amelia Earhart. That's that's actually sounds really cool. <laughs> yep. So she attempted to circumnavigate the globe and disappeared over the southwestern Pacific Ocean, July second, nineteen thirty-seven. And she was never found. And this is again where we dip into our Twilight Zone theme because this comic is what supposedly happened after that. This is the subsequent events. She did disappear through time and space into an alternate dimension. And yeah, so basically she, she wakes up and finds herself having fallen through this portal. She's lost her navigator and um, she's in this strange dimension. And it, for the first sort of chapter, it's sort of like, who, what, where, what, you know, and she's kind of, she, she, uh, 
everything's strange and and completely different nothing is earth-like whatsoever the writing is it's like really pulpy sci-fi writing so it's got that real kind of um air about it you know that the kind of like pulpy fun sci-fi air about it which i I really enjoy and so she she's traveling through this uh this this world and she meets up with these uh these two sort of um i guess i can call them aliens we don't know what what relationship this this dimension has with our own dimension yet and there's there's a, a some kind of fantasy realm uh, with an evil overlord and she ends up getting taken prisoner obviously because she's fallen into their domain and and this 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 guy's obviously really mean and he's like subjugating the entire realm and they've got the freedom fighters and yeah it's just it's just cool pulpy sci-fi where she's in this alternate dimension and i think it's just going to follow her journey through this place and i'm assuming because she was never found in real life this is where she ends up and i think i think it's nice you know i think it's nice that they're doing this that they're um you know she disappeared but this is where she ended up and also there are other people introduced as well that um have vanished but later on in time so so people like kind of like a a bermuda triangle type deal Hmm. you know like where people vanish over the bermuda triangle but then people in the 1970s also vanish over the bermuda triangle and they're brought into the same time and space with people that vanished in 1930 whatever so you've got that in there as well in this second issue um, and obviously there's going to be, it's going to be these guys working together to overthrow this kind of evil overlord, um, who wears a, a helmet and looks really badass and evil. <laughs> and it's, it, I, I just love it. I love the character design. It's, um, it's, it's not overly laden with lines. It's bold and it's, it's quite colorful and it works well with the pulpy writing. So it, it kind of creates this pulp sci-fi space, as I keep saying, you know, and it's a good place to be. And I, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy this. This uh, I, I like what they're doing here with this this historical figure. That, that the fact that you know, like what they've done here with someone who in real life vanished after trying to achieve something tremendous, hmm. and then this is this is where this is apparently where she ended up. And I quite I quite like the idea of that. I think that's pretty cool. <clears throat> it's an interesting way to to talk about her legacy as well. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to check it out before i make my mind up on how i feel about that yeah no i, I think i think it's a really cool book i think you would enjoy it big time okay. yeah mm. it, she, she's she's pretty um no nonsense and badass in this as well which is really cool so i quite like that uh that was uh writer jay farber and artist uh Samee kesjin or kesigin i'm sorry i'm butchering your name <laughs> so i guess that brings us to the end of the comics we were going to talk about so we have a list of what is coming out alongside this podcast so this podcast will go out on the 13th of september and these are the comics that we're looking forward to picking up when this podcast goes out so we've got curse words number eight dark knights metal number two mr miracle number two redlands number two winnebago graveyard number four which will be the conclusion of the story and obviously we're all very excited about that oh yeah uh clue number four which is one for your list, I believe, Rahul. That's, I think I'm the only one reading that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm loving it. Teen Titans number 12, which is going to be part of the Dark Knight's Metal story. Oh, okay. Yep. TMNT Amazing Adventures Robot Animals number three, which I think that's Leon's, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. It's Turtles. It's Leon's. Uh-huh. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> sure it is. 
<laughs> Another Turtles comic, TMNT Universe number 14. No prizes for guessing who that one's for. Transformers Lost Light number 9, which I think Transformers Lost it's been really good, actually. I mean, the Transformers comics from IDW have got a reputation anyway. They're great. But Transformers Lost Light has been pretty cool. Venomverse number 2. Met Cadet U number 2, which uh, we talked about that last time, Met Cadet. Yeah, which I've fallen in love with. Yep. It's great. So. Yeah. Shadow number two, which is a dynamite book, which um I, I think a movie called The Shadow. You remember that? No. No guy with a red no. scarf and a black hat. I think you might have talked about it in the past and I've looked it up because of that, yeah. but I, I never watched it as a kid or never but read it as a kid. That's based on comics from way back when. Okay. And we've now got a new Shadow comic, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and Gru Play of Gods number three, which I have talked about previously on the podcast. So, I guess we have some questions to tackle now. Let's do it. Yeah. So, we have a question from Askew, friend of ours, Askew. He asks us, out of all the franchises you know and love, which one would you want to protect the most in terms of protecting it from having a film or a game, etc.? So, as in... Something that's a comic, a comic. I, I believe is asking uh, from from the comics that that we read. Mm. Which one would we want to keep solely as a comic, and would we least like to see as a game or a movie? I mean, I don't know because uh, I'm generally not that precious with these kind of things. Like, I think I like to see the things that I love in as many mediums as I can. Like, I don't. I tend not to get too down on it before I see it, but. The exception being when it actually comes out and it turns out to be crap, as it so often does. So, for example, something like The Last Airbender, which yeah. got turned into a terrifically bad movie. Yeah. Which I I'm not one of those people that I let it ruin the original for me, but it's a sour, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth that something that I love that could have been so good in the right hands turns out not to be. That's when I I'm disappointed. But I don't think. I don't think there's many... Th- I don't think there's anything that I would hold dear enough that I wouldn't want to see somebody at least attempt it. Mm. I guess I guess for me it would be something like Saga, where it's so big that there's so little chance of getting it right. But then, I don't know, we've seen stuff like that happen before go the right way. And I suppose with like the big, the big franchises that we have these days, we can have something like Harry Potter, which, while it doesn't reach the heights of the source material, I think it's still has some merit the movies for example for harry potter have some merit and they have a lot of um like stylistic yeah. consistency and there's yeah. a lot of energy and uh, money and love put into those movies and yeah. you know, the vibe of it is perfect in some ways i think so i'm um, i don't know hmm. i can't think of anything besides something like saga which is so huge in length and breadth that if if, if anyone took it on it's a massive undertaking and it's if... something that you you know, you'd have to really yeah. If it, it. if it wasn't given the respect and the budget, it, I mean, it comes down to budget in some ways. Like, if it's not given the budget that it deserves, then yeah, yeah. just just don't even bother. Also, respect for the source material because a lot of the times there's an issue with that. Mm-hmm. You do get it, um, which I think is what leads them to be bad movies in the eyes of fans. Where something, yeah, something like uh, comparing the Hobbit yeah. trilogy to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where you can just you can tell the difference in love that was put into both of those films as well as the the filmmaking techniques and the slightly cheaper digital you know techniques used for yeah. the, the hobbit compared to the lord of the rings yeah. it's that kind of thing that i wouldn't want to see yeah i mean i'm i think i'm with you on the fact that there's nothing specific 
that I want to protect or, or would say that I would protect because I think I think you know if you're going to do it do it right mm. I think I think that's my message here if you're going to do it do it right I don't mind what you do and uh, you know I, I've, I've got no problem with you with, with somebody picking up a friend a, a comic book and, and deciding to turn that into a movie or a tv show i've got no problem with that just if you're gonna do it have respect for the source material and do it right you know and not just respect for the source material but yeah. like understand the source yeah material un- understand well. it understand yeah. what makes it good yeah and the qualities of that that will translate well don't just yeah. try and do panel to panel like don't don't do a and like i have a soft spot in my heart for something like watchmen but don't just do a watchman where you take the iconic panels and then turn them into really amazingly accurate and detailed and, you know, um, soul-filling scenes, like moments, and then construct everything around it really poorly. Like, don't do that, because that's... Yeah. Then I then I have no choice but to want to see it, but then kind of feel dirty afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, un- I understand what you mean. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be. It, it, I will say this: that if I, I have no, tr- I have no problem with people taking things because, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to think about it this way, right? How many things, or how many um, stories and mythoses and characters have you been introduced to via a medium other than comic books before reading the comic books? So, yeah, hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, so, I suspect that a lot of people in this day and age, yeah, who come to comic books, come to it through. Film and, then, I mean, my, you know, film and TV. My introduction to Marvel and DC as a kid was via cartoons. Mm, you know? Exactly, yeah. But, but it, so if you're going to do something, do it right, I guess, and, and, and have respect for it and, and understand what it is that you're taking. And, and you know, so that then, then when you do produce a film, it will be a good film and people will love it. And you won't have this problem where people start to disengage from that part of the front because they, you know, they, get precious about it and, and disengage from mm. it and, and you know you won't have that issue because people will see the film and they'll be like okay yeah it's great i mean there are a lot of really good examples of i think the marvel universe has done pretty well in recent times the way they've adapted stuff yeah i think they do a really good job of capturing the spirit of comics as well yeah. like that whole that the bite size you know wait every wait every month to get a new issue or wait every six months to get a new film and like each one feeds into itself yeah and that they captured that like pitch perfectly yeah and if people never took a chance on things because it's too precious then we wouldn't end up with things like the dark knight or yeah. we wouldn't end up with things like but scott pilgrim the message yeah and, and the message to take away is half the things that people that, that we now love know and love today we wouldn't have known about or we wouldn't have we we wouldn't have come to know and love as well without it, it have without there being a movie or something like that to introduce us to it so we do we do need these things it's not like i'm you know not like I'm blanket saying don't ever do it or anything. I'm just saying if you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> so basically what we're saying is, ask you, stop trying to bum us out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love this medium. Nothing's too precious. We want to see all of it in as many things as, pos- as we possibly can. Yeah, just not all of it like Suicide <laughs> Squad. Um... <laughs> what? What film? I've never heard of <laughs> Okay, so we have an another question from our friend Mike friend and listener mike so mike says hi guys mike here what would you say is your favorite obscure comic that you love but no one talks about for me it's either billy bud kgb about a russian sleeper agent or miss don't touch me which is a sweet comic about the first french dominatrix how about you guys so first of all we have to define obscure comic because 
I don't... I don't think you can. I mean, I... What, what constitutes obscure? So is that obscure? Because obscure, I guess, is only down to where the comic was produced and, and, and I guess, the circles you run in. Because things that yeah, we Yeah, I would, guess it depends yeah. on how how deep you're diving into... Yeah. Like, how it, it depends on your perspective, obscure, I guess. Because I've... It's, it's yeah. not an objective thing, is Exactly. It? I mean, I, I've read articles that deem Junji Ito books obscure. But you wouldn't say Junji Ito is obscure because most of the people we know has read Junji Ito, right? Yeah, exactly. So, We've all read Amigara Fault. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I say that we all like. I say that like with tongue in cheek because not everybody has, but I mean, we all have in our circles. Yeah, we've all read that. And yeah, we reference it and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I've never. I, I don't know what what would constitute obscure. I mean, I say. Um, if you mean something, I guess I can define obscure as anything that isn't mainstream, as in Marvel or DC or IDW or the more sort of like front and center well-known image stuff. Mm. Anything that isn't that on a comic stand that, you know, I get I, anything that doesn't get as much press, I guess I can I can deem obscure. So I guess most of some of the things that we talk about on this show, actually, um, I'm gonna go with God Shaper. Okay. Which is which is Boom Comics. I think that's pretty obscure. I don't I don't think that's massively well known book. I mean, would you would you agree with me there? I think so, actually. Yeah, because it's one of those that doesn't occupy a lot of shelf space on the shops that I visit, mm. and it's contemporary. Like it's still ongoing, but you don't see it yeah. like having fifty copies on the shelf, kind of thing. It's always kind of tucked in the back. Well. I mean, like, yeah, I think that's a good one. When I when I go into my comic shop when I visit to pick it up, there's just you know it's never on the shelf. It's either because it sells out fast or they don't order that many of it because there probably aren't that many people reading it. <laughs> um, I mean, I always get one saved for me, but yeah, it's just one of those books and um, other books that I guess that we talk about that you could deem obscure um, or books that I read that you could deem obscure. So there's Packless, hmm. which. Um, it's pretty. I guess that's pretty obscure because it's it's quite it's quite an indie production, um, and it's an anthology as yeah, well. Yeah, it's an anthology. Tends to put people off. It's on the image label. It's quite an indie production. Um, it's quite personal to the writer and artist actually. Hmm. So I think that is, an, and I really like it. So I'm going to go with that and God Shaper as two recent obscure comics of mine because I mean there's going to be other stuff that I've read, but they don't jump to the front of my mind all the time or I, I you know it's been so long since I've read them that I'm not going to be able to talk about them um and feel comfortable talking about them I guess so I'll <laughs> go with those two for now yeah I think I would say so something that I've mentioned on previous podcasts would be like Jason Sheger so I've talked about Demon and Meanwhile so these very math heavy uh kind of gruesome time travel convoluted uh, folding in on themselves kind of plot yeah that kind of thing i don't think i've ever met anyone else who's read jason shiga that's not to say he's not popular i don't actually that's the thing i don't know it's obscure to me because i don't think i've ever heard anyone else talk about it i picked up meanwhile because i found it in like a a secondhand bookshop mm. and then i went on to find demon because actually no i went on to find demon because it was nominated for an eisner award so i guess that can't be considered obscure yeah um but i don't know i mean maybe like if you if you have an opinion on this, 
write us in. Yeah, you know, let me know how you found. But but then again, uh, something like that. Just just because it's 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 known about in critic circles, it doesn't mean that the general public are buying it. I mean, that's so, very true because the only reason that I even took note of it was because I recognized the name from something obscure exactly. that I picked up five, yeah. five years before that. So, and something, yeah, s- I, something getting nominated for an Eisner brings it to the forefront. So you, exactly, it, yeah. if that and to be fair, it got nominated for an Eisner like a few years after it was originally, you know, created. I yeah. think it was nominated for the novels that were finally published mm. years on. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of that play in it, depending on you know, I mean as i said as i was saying before geography plays a part in this because if you're if you grow up in in japan on manga in japan then you're going to know about things that and have read things that western manga fans aren't going to know about and have read hmm. i mean coming to that point i've got a colleague at work who um is a big fan of valerian yeah which i hadn't heard of until the film came out recently but apparently it's huge in france like this is this massive ongoing really popular famous sci-fi series that you know has french origins yeah um and that's one of his favorite cartoons that he sorry one of his favorite comics that he grew up reading so you know there's there's always something for somebody i mean i think the other one that comes to my mind is something like like uh, valve presents so you know the it's called valve presents the sacrifice and other steam powered stories so yeah. stories that center around uh the half-life portal team fortress and left for dead universe yeah um, I would call those obscure because they you kind of have to be a fan of those original IPs to even get much out of these stories. But they are, they are really good stories in their own right. Because, uh, I mean, this this comes off something that's affected quite a lot of people recently with the release of the... In the wake of Epistle 3. I don't know if you heard about this. But basically, people have been clamoring for Half-Life 2 Episode 3 for, you know, almost I think, over a decade now. I can't remember. It's been a long, right. long time. Yeah. Um, and recently the lead writer or who the guy who was the lead writer of half-life at the time um recently released on his blog um something entitled episode three which is a really blatant like really poorly veiled um description of what can be assumed to have been his plot for episode three half-life two Mm. um and I remember reading this and hearing lots of opinions of people who, you know, this closure for a lot of people where they get to finally have the story that they've been waiting for ages, but it's like in the wrong medium. It was supposed to be a video game. It was never supposed to be written down in like, you know, five really brief paragraphs explaining what happened to these characters that you've been playing for hours and hours of your life. Yeah. And I kind of just wish that they'd made Epistle 3 into a comic the same way that they did with the Valve Presents book. So I've been that's been on my mind lately. And the Valve Presents stories are really good. Like the the Portal um, story, which explains the character of the Ratman, who's kind of in the background of both of those games. Yeah. Um, explains what he does and his interactions with Chell in the background. It's, um, yeah, it's some really cool stuff there. And I don't know how many people have read that. But if you're a fan of any of the old Half-Life, Team Fortress 2, Left 4 Dead, you know, Portal works check out that Valve presents so in, I think it's, you can only get it in hardback yeah so in short to kind of wrap this answer up it it's largely depends on opinion uh, what you would deem obscure maybe geography plays a part in it which we've mentioned with france and and, and uh, also J- japanese books as well and it's i guess it's down to the circles you run in and the people you interact with on a daily basis and what people recommend to you, what people recommend to you, that, that, that I guess is how you define obscure. And, um, 
as we've given examples of what we deem to be obscure anyway so <laughs> and i've never heard of billy bud kgb and miss don't touch me so um ne- are, yeah like, neither had i to, <laughs> to my uh, yeah neither had i so that- and it's funny the use of the word obscure because every time we talk about something or every time you you and leon talk about something and i'll be like i've never heard of this you know mr miracle yeah. to me was obscure in my eyes so yeah yeah it depends on depends on who you're talking to depends on the angle you come at it from (laughs) so yeah there we go um and i think that wraps us up so let's close this one out this has been ace comicals you can find us at www.acecomicals.com you can find us at acecomicals.wordpress.com you can find us on twitter under at ace comicals you can send us an email question at acecomicals.gmail.com you can dm us a question on twitter you can find us on facebook and message us a question under ace comicals give us a like you can find me on twitter under at bato b-a-t-t-o-u ray where can we find you yeah you can find me on twitter so at monkey sorry (laughs) at monkey so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h you can find us on itunes you can find us on various podcasting applications i'm, I'm sure it, like you whatever podcatcher you use you you should be able to find us our website is kind of the hub for everything so if you go to acecomicals.com that is you can find a link to sort of every sort of avenue we take we, we you can find us on instagram under acecomicals as well before i forget to mention mm-hmm. that but yeah so we're, we're pretty available across the social media spectrum so give us a like give us a follow give us some feedback ask us a question definitely ask us a question yeah love questions we love questions we like talking about stuff so that has been ace comicals ace comicals over and out